This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. The study that we'll do today is on the Holy Spirit. I have thought about changing subjects simply because I wish more of the congregation were here when I gave this lesson, but nonetheless we we record these on podcast and they'll be able to listen to them audibly. And uh, notice on the left side and on the right is an order of scriptures that we'll follow in the study. Some of these scriptures I may leave off if I do, well I'll just tell you to skip. On the inside these scriptures are all typed out. And if you wish to turn to them in your Bible or on a device you feel free to turn. If not, you can simply flip the pages on the inside and these scriptures are typed out for you. These are your copies to keep if you wish. You can make notes on them. If you want extra copies of them, there are plenty of them. Feel free to just get them on your way out and take as many as you, as you want and as long as they last. There's a lot of misunderstanding today about the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to talk about a lot of things that deal with the Spirit today, but I want to talk about some things regarding the indwelling and the operation of the Holy Spirit because it's not well understood even by many in the church. I had a sister out in California, not my fleshly sister, but a sister in Christ, who contacted me. She was out around the Fresno area, out around uh, 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 that that general area. I believe the the name of the city was Clovis, California. And... uh, She had a question. She wondered, is the Holy Spirit leading me every time I go to town? When I get a thought, uh, should I go visit the rest home? Do I need to go see sister so-and-so in the rest home? Am I being led by the Holy Spirit here directly? Uh, How will I know? Are these just hunches and intuitions and different things like that? People are somewhat confused about things like this. Let's open up our study with Acts 2 in verse 38. You see it under the title. It's also on the inside. It's in a larger print on the inside if you want to read it with me. Acts 2.38 When Peter and the apostles were asked by the Jews in Jerusalem on Pentecost Day, Men and brethren, what shall we do? The Bible says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So Peter then has promised those that would uh, believe in Jesus Christ that if they would repent and be baptized, they would have remission of their sins, that is, forgiveness of sins, and that they would be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now what is the Holy Spirit? What is the gift of the Spirit? There's a lot of confusion about what that might be. Some think that it's a gift that the Holy Spirit gives. Others think that it's the Holy Spirit Himself. And indeed the Bible does teach that the Holy Spirit dwells in every Christian. That if we don't have the Spirit of God, we do not belong to the Lord. And that's taught abundantly in the Scripture. I've always believed that the gift of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. The gift of $500 is $500. To me, the gift of the Holy Spirit is exactly what Peter said here, that if we would repent and be baptized, the Lord promises to forgive us and to give us the Holy Spirit as a gift. This I take the passage to mean. If you'll notice there on the inside now several scriptures, I'm going to read these rather rapidly with you. 
And uh, let's just notice the scriptures that teach that every Christian has the Holy Spirit within them. We've read Acts 2 and 38, now Acts 5 and verse 32, read with me. The Bible says, and we are witnesses of these things, and so also is the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey Him. So we're told that the Holy Spirit's given to them that obey Him. If you've obeyed God, the Spirit's given to you. We read in Romans 5 and verse 5, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. There it is again. In Romans 8 verse 9 to 11, note these scriptures, these verses. Paul said, But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you, he also that raised up Christ from the dead shall quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Several times in those verses there we're told that the Holy Spirit is within us. That if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, and that's just another term for the Holy Spirit, that if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. He doesn't belong to the Lord. So without the Spirit, we don't belong to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? which you have of God, and ye are not your own. There it is again. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21 and 22. Now he which establishes us with you in Christ, and hath anointed us as God, who hath also sealed us, and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. We'll talk later about what the earnest of the Spirit is. But we're told that the earnest of the Spirit's been given in our hearts. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 5. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who hath also given us the earnest of the Spirit. There it is, the earnest of the Spirit again. We'll talk about that earnest of the Spirit and what it is a little bit later. In Ephesians 1 now, verse 13 and 14, Paul writes, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, under the redemption of the purchased possession, under the praise of His glory. So he talks about us being sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, and declares again that that's the earnest of our inheritance. So there's plain scriptures. Let's look at that list again, starting at the top. All of these teaching the one and same thing that we have the Holy Spirit in us as Christians. Acts 2.38, Acts 5.32, Romans 5 and 5, Romans 8, 9 through 11, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 2 Corinthians 1, 21, 22, 2 Corinthians 5 and 5, Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14. If God wanted to tell us that we had the Holy Spirit in us, I don't know how He could put it any more plainly than this. There are all those passages that teach the very principle that we all have the Spirit in us as children of God. Now, because we have the Holy Spirit in us, some are inclined to think, well, 
we must have the ability then to work miracles. And that doesn't follow. In fact, the Bible teaches that you and I can be filled with the Spirit and never do a miracle. John the Baptist was. I'm going to give you that example. If you'll look inside there again at Luke 1 and verse 15. Let's get the setting for this. Remember, John the Baptist's father was named Zacharias. He was a priest. He was inside the temple on this occasion and he was offering incense. That was his lot on, on, on this occasion. He had drawn that duty among all the priests. His, his lot was to burn incense. He was standing before the veil there in the temple. That incense altar would have been right in front of the curtain, the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy. There he stood burning incense. Outside the people were having prayer because at, at the hour of incense it was also the hour of prayer. Incense was a type of prayer. In fact, you can read in Revelation how the incense that's mentioned there, while it's symbolic, is symbolic of the prayers that ascend up to God, a sweet-smelling savor to Him. And so as Zacharias is there about to burn incense, an angel appears and he tells him of a son that he and Elizabeth are going to have. They are old now, well stricken in years, they have no children, and yet this angel promises John the Baptist that God will give them, a, or promises Zacharias that God will give them a son, that, uh, that his name will be called John. And he tells him in verse 15 of Luke 1 these, these words, He shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. John the Baptist, friends, was filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. That's what the Bible says. You remember when Mary visited, you know, how the, the babe leaped in the womb there at the, at the joy of the Lord's presence. John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb, and yet look at John 10, Verse 41 and 42, and I left off part of this verse, I see. But I'll see if I can remember to quote it. In John 10, verse 41, the Bible says of John the Baptist, that, or of Jesus, that many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man were true. John the Baptist did no miracle. If you'll, you'll really think about John the Baptist, where do you ever find John doing a miracle? We never read about it. It's interesting. Jesus said among those born of women, there had not risen a greater than John the Baptist. There never was a greater prophet than John the Baptist because he prophesied of the Messiah. He was the forerunner of Christ. And yet the Bible says of John the Baptist that he did no miracle. And so you never do read one of John in Scripture. Yet John was told to be filled with the Spirit and said that he would be filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. And so the point's this, that a man like John can be filled with the Holy Spirit and never do a miracle. In fact, you and I, you and I are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Look in Ephesians 5 with me now, verse 18 and 19. Next page in. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. Paul said, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Now this is a commandment here. When I was being raised up in school, we call these imperative sentences. The understood subject here in Ephesians 5 is you, the, the word you. You be filled. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled. You be filled with the Spirit. And so he commands the Ephesians here to be filled with the Spirit. Now that begs a question then. How in the world are we to be filled with the Spirit? We have this commandment. Be filled with the Spirit. Well it so happens that Ephesians, Ephesians is one of four epistles that Paul wrote when he was a prisoner in Rome. When Paul was, was taken prisoner at Rome, uh, around 60-61 A.D. He stayed there about three years, two to three years, somewhere between 61 to 64 A.D. During that time he wrote four of his epistles. They are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. He wrote all four during that time. And when you read Ephesians and Philippians, Colossians and all, a lot of them read a lot alike. There are repeats in them because he wrote them at the same time, and they're even, they're even carried by the same messenger from Rome out to these different churches in Asia Minor. Epaphroditus and others uh, bore these epistles, even a man named uh, 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 Erastus. And uh, they were taken to a man named Philemon and to, to others there around Colossae and other places. And so when you read Ephesians 5, and we're told to be filled with the Spirit, to speak to ourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, look at Colossians 3.16, which Paul wrote at the same time. He said, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now we have a commandment in Ephesians to be filled with the Spirit. And when you read the command, the uh, companion passage in Colossians, it tells you how to be filled with the Spirit. To let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Because you see, the Spirit influences and leads and guides us and imparts things to us through the sacred Scriptures. And when we let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly in all wisdom, we are allowing the Holy Spirit to, to gain influence in our life and to lead and guide and direct our lives. When we give ourselves to the study of that Word, the application of it, the obedience to it, we are being led and guided by the Holy Spirit. And so we have this commandment, be filled with the Spirit. I'm not telling you that the Holy Spirit is the Word of God. It is not. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. I'm telling you that the Word of God is the instrument that the Spirit uses to fill us, to influence us, to guide and lead us and direct us, and to enrich our lives with His, with His knowledge and, and with His will. If you'll uh, look now at Ephesians 6 and 17, there's a lot of different thoughts about how the Holy Spirit operates on us. You know, Calvinism came along back in the 1500s, and John Calvin, among others, taught what we call the direct operation of the Holy Spirit. 
There are people who believe that the Holy Spirit leads and guides them apart from Scripture, that He will lead and guide them apart from written Scripture. And uh, so when people get hunches and intuitions, thoughts of various kinds, they attribute those to the Holy Spirit. I once got uh, called by uh, one of the brethren down around Greenwood years ago. Um, he said, could you come down and go with me to visit one of our brethren down in the area? He's confused about the Holy Spirit. He believes that the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding everything he does. Every move that he makes. If he gets up and goes to the bank, he believes the Holy Spirit led him down there. Anything that he does in life, he's attributing to the Spirit, and he's so confused. And I said, well, yes, I'll come down. I don't know that we can help him any, but I'll come down and visit with him. So we went to the brother's house, and we talked to him about his ideas about the Spirit. Are you being led by the Holy Spirit? He said, the Holy Spirit tells me everything I do. When I get up and, and start my day, any, anything I do, I'm led by the Holy Spirit. He directs me in every path. If I go to the grocery store, if I go to the bank, post office, whatever I do, it's the Holy Spirit leading me. And I looked at the brother and I said, well, I said, I suppose that there's no need in me talking to you. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm probably not going to agree with your idea of the Holy Spirit leading you. And since I don't agree with you and the Holy Spirit doesn't lead me directly like this, then I'm going to automatically be wrong. And he looked at me and he said, well, he said, the Holy Spirit don't always lead me. Now that's what I was wanting him to say. And I looked at him and I said, brother, how do you know when it's the Holy Spirit leading you and when it isn't? When you get a hunch, when you get an intuition, when you get a passing thought, how do you know that's the Holy Spirit? What do you have to check that by so that you'll know whether you're being led by the Spirit or whether it's just your impulse or just a natural thought that all of us have regarding duties that we need to be doing? And of course, he, he didn't have an answer for that, and I held up Scripture. You see, the Holy Spirit, folks, is not going to lead us separate and apart from this Word. He's not going to say something to us, direct us in some fashion that will be contrary to the Scripture. It'll always be true to the Bible because the Holy Spirit is deity and He cannot contradict Himself. God does not contradict Himself. And the Spirit, if it's the Spirit leading you and I, will never lead us in any way that contradicts Bible. He just won't. It will be true to the Scripture always. And the Holy Spirit uses this Word to lead and guide us. He does not guide us apart from the Word. He just does it. In Ephesians 6 now, read with me verse 17. When Paul talked about taking the whole armor of God, he said, uh, he said And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now the Word of God is not the Holy Spirit, it's the sword of the Spirit. And this Word, folks, is living. It is powerful. Years ago, uh, Brother C.J. Jackson over at Aurora, many of you knew C.J., some of you did, some of you didn't. Uh, Brother Jackson called me one day and he said, Pat, uh, 
I've been asked to go up on Bohannon Mountain. That was one of the mountains near Huntsville. And he said, uh, they want me to speak at a cemetery decoration there. It seems there was a, a community up on Bohannon that uh, they had an old church building that sat by a cemetery, and it was Memorial Day. And every Memorial Day, they had invited preachers from different uh, churches around the area to come and speak there, to have a different role and speak. And C.J. had been asked that Sunday to come and represent the Church of Christ. And C.J. was not able to. He had to take his mother over to the Veterans Cemetery in Fayetteville. And so he called me and he said, could you, could you speak in my place out at Bohannon Sunday? I said, yes. <clears throat> so I, had, uh, I sat down and worked on a talk on what I might do. And since it was Memorial Day, and people had come to decorate the graves of their loved ones, I thought this might be a perfect time to talk about the resurrection of Christ. Because folks have their loved ones buried out here and they, they need to know that in Jesus Christ there is hope of a resurrection. So I will take the scripture then and establish that Christ rose from the dead and that He lives today and that He'll never die again. So I sat down and prepared a lesson to that effect. When I got out to the place there, to the church building, there was a fellow in front of me who got up to speak, and I never will forget what he said. He held up his Bible, and he said, Folks, he said, this is just a dead letter. This is just dead and lifeless. And he said, uh, So I'm just going to lay this book down today, and I'm just going to let the Lord lead me. I'll just let the Lord lead me and I'll say whatever He puts on my heart today. And uh, I wish you could have heard what the Lord thought He put on His heart. He had no message that day. It was just a scramble of thoughts, disconnected thoughts that He had that He tried to make into a lesson because He was going off the cuff and He'd made no preparation for what He would say. And He thought that the Holy Spirit was just going to give Him His message and He wouldn't have to work for it. And he'd be led by the Spirit directly apart from the Word in that fashion. It was just an absolute mess. He said nothing and nobody was edified and no one could understand what he said. And the fact that he called this a dead letter aggravated me. So I'm a little bit brash at times. Now, I was a young preacher then and probably a little more fiery. And I got up to the audience and I said, folks, I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit lead me today. I'm just going to let the Lord just lead me with whatever He lays on my heart, and I'm going to let Him lead me through this Word right here. And I held the Bible up. Because the Bible says in Hebrews 4, verse 12, the Word of God is quick, that is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible says this is a living word. Jesus said in John 6, verse 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Peter once said in, in 1 Peter 1, 23, seeing you purified your souls and obeying the truth through the spirit, now note that, the truth through the Spirit. Unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another 
with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, listen, which liveth and abideth forever. This is a living Word. And so I told the audience again, this Word is living, it is powerful, and I'm going to let the Holy Spirit lead me through this Word. And I preached the sermon that day on the resurrection that I had put together through the Scriptures, through the words of the Holy Spirit. In that way, the Holy Spirit gave me that message that day. And He led me to edify that audience. And we had great response to that message that day because it imparted great hope to those who had come there to decorate the graves of their loved ones and wanted some hope that one day they might be reunited with them again. And that's what the Holy Spirit brought for that message that day. The Spirit leads us and guides us in salvation through this Word. Uh, it's how the prophets spoke. Read with me on the inside there again from 1 Peter. First, 2 Peter, I'm sorry, 2 Peter 1, verse 20 and 21. Peter said, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So holy men of God then spake as they were moved by the Spirit. Had you and I lived in the days of those Old Testament prophets like Moses and others, when they spoke, that would be the Spirit speaking. Because the message that they were preaching there, the message they were prophesying, was given to them by the Holy Spirit. When a person then heard them give a thus saith the Lord or read the words that they wrote, the words of those prophets, they were being guided by the Holy Spirit because He guides through that word. In 2 Samuel 23 verse 2, David said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and His word was in my tongue. When you read the writings of David, you're reading the Holy Spirit's words because the Holy Spirit, David said, spake by me. His words were in my tongue. Whenever David spoke in a prophesying way, it was the Holy Spirit speaking by David. In Nehemiah 9 and verse 30, the Bible says, Yet many years didst thou forbear them, and testifiedest against them by thy spirit and thy prophets. Yet would they would not give ear, Therefore gavest thou, thou into the hand of the people of the lands. The Bible says that the Lord testified against the, the, the nation there, against Israel, by His Spirit that was in His prophets. When those prophets, you see, spoke to the people, warning them of coming destruction if they didn't repent, it was the Holy Spirit testifying against them. And they rejected the prophets. When they did that, they rejected the Spirit. In fact, Stephen in Acts 7, read with me verse 51 and 52. Let's remember Stephen, one of the first martyrs of the Lord there that was killed by the Jews, uh, preached, preached his heart out to the people, tried to reach the Jews there in Jerusalem, and he rebuked them. Notice his message to them. He said, ye stiff-necked, 
and uncircumcised in heart and ears. He's talking to the Jews. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. Now look at that. He has told them, Stephen has, you are stiff-necked, you are uncircumcised in your heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Now how did they resist the Holy Ghost? As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom you've now been the betrayers and murderers. He's saying your, pro your fathers, uh, they persecuted the prophets, they slew the prophets, they resisted the Holy Ghost. You see, those prophets were, were speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And when the Jewish forefathers persecuted those prophets and killed them, they were resisting the Holy Ghost. That's what Stephen's telling them here. And he said, you've done the same thing. Because when Jesus came here, when they showed before the coming of the just one, you've now been his betrayers. You've been his murderers. You've killed the Christ. And of course, in doing that, you have rejected the prophets who before told, the, told of his coming here. You've done just like your fathers. You've resisted the Holy Ghost. When we resist the message of the Scriptures, we resist the Holy Spirit. Because He gave those words, you see. He gave those words. When we hear the, when we hear the Word of God, we're hearing what the Holy Spirit says. In other words, we're being guided by Him. Look at Revelation 3 with me. And picture as I read this, I want you to picture this. Picture John or somebody walking into a first century assembly. He's got a scroll in his hand. It's the book of Revelation. It's opened. The disciples are sitting there in an assembly like we are. And either John or someone up on the floor begins to read these things that are written to the churches there, for example, in chapter 2 and chapter 3, etc. And now notice and read with me Revelation 3, here on the inside, verse 6. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Do you, do you see what I'm saying here? That when the Scriptures were read, when the book of Revelation was read, in that assembly there in the first century, the church was hearing what the Spirit said to the churches. That's repeated again in verse 13. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Verse 22, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So when these Scriptures are read to us, we are hearing what the Holy Spirit has to say. Because He's given this revelation. Jesus promised that He told His disciples, for example, if I may Quote John 16, verse 12 and 13. Jesus said, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit how when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. So the Holy Spirit then was to come and guide the apostles into all truth. And we have this message today. He did come and guide them into all truth. The Lord had yet many things to say. They weren't ready for them at that time. 
But he said the Spirit will come and give you these things. And of course he did. If I may skip Acts 1, I don't have time to deal with that and to go through that with you. But we're talking about how the Holy Spirit operates in our lives. And when He sets out to convert us, to bring about the new birth, the Holy Spirit always uses the Word of God. Didn't Jesus tell us in the Great Commission, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. In Mark's version, in Mark 16, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The Lord wanted people taught. He wanted people preached to. Every person was to hear preaching. Why? Because that word, that gospel is what saves us. But you see, that word and that gospel is the Holy Spirit working on us. He's not going to work apart from that word. He works through the word. That's his sword. That's the instrument. Remember Ephesians 6, 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the Word of God is not the Spirit. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's what He uses. It's the instrument that He uses to perform His operation on us. Just like a doctor, when he operates, uh, he has a scalpel, And he takes that and, and he makes an incision in our body. Now that, that instrument that he's using is not the doctor. The doctor's doing the operation. He's just not doing it directly. He doesn't go to our chest cavity, for example, on heart surgery and just tear it open. He's got an instrument. And he makes his incision. It's still the doctor operating, but he's operating indirectly with this instrument, see. And that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's operating on us. He has to to bring about our salvation. But he uses an instrument. He doesn't operate directly apart from this instrument. He uses the instrument. That's why it's called the sword of the Spirit. Now listen to Paul explain this in 1 Corinthians 4, 15. And incidentally, Paul started the church at Corinth. And if you're familiar with that history, <clears throat> you know that Paul was at Corinth 18 months Paul started that church. And in that sense, he was a spiritual father to many of the Corinthian Christians. When they look back at the, at the, the one that brought them the gospel, that actually uh, fathered them spiritually, and I'm not talking about God the Father, but the one who was their spiritual father. Listen to what Paul tells them in 1 Corinthians 4 here now. 1 Corinthians 4. And I believe it's verse 15. He said, Though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers? For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. So Paul said, I'm your father. You may have a lot of men that instruct you. You may have Apollos. You may have heard any number of men speak. But only one is your spiritual father in the sense of Bringing, bringing salvation to you. I'm the one that did so. He said, I have begotten you. And when we think about being begotten by the Spirit, what does the Spirit use? Paul said, I have begotten you through the gospel. 
That's what he used. Look in James 1 and 18. James said, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. We're begotten by the word of truth. Peter puts it beyond doubt. 1 Peter 1, 23 Read with me. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. And I want to underline, underscore something here. Peter said, We purify our souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit that brings that truth to us. See, We purify our souls in obeying the truth. So when we obey the truth, what happens? Our souls purified. But it's through the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit doing this. Seeing you purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God which liveth and abideth forever. So the Spirit's using the Word of God, you see. That's the truth through the Spirit that we obey and we purify our souls. Acts 2, verse 40 and 41, you see this done by Peter on Pentecost Day. The Bible says, With many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. See how the Word played the part there in that. That's why the Lord said, Go teach all nations. Go preach the gospel to every creature. Because that's the Holy Spirit bringing about the new birth in us. You see it in the uh, parable of the sower. I don't have the parable down here. Let me, let me just mention the parable just a minute. Jesus tells us here in the early verses of Luke 8, He said a sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, he said, some fell by the wayside. It was trodden down and the fowls of the air devoured it. So he pictures the old, the old hardened footpath out here around the fields. And some of that seed happened to fall on that, that hard ground. And the ground was so hard it couldn't penetrate it. It could not be taken into the soil. And so it laid there on the surface. And so along came these fowls. And they devoured that seed, and it brought no fruit. See. Then he said, some fell upon stony ground. And he talked about rocky soil where there's not much depth, and it could, couldn't put down a good root system. Therefore, it couldn't draw moisture and the nutrients that it needed to survive. And when the sun came up and hit it, it scorched it. And because it didn't have root, it withered away. He said, some of it fell among thorns. A thorn sprang up and choked it. And it became unfruitful. The thorns stole its nourishment. And then he said, Other fell on good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold. And then he said, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when they were in private, his disciples asked him, Lord, what might this parable be? Now if you'll read with me here at Luke 8, 11, he explains what he meant. And look at, look at the role of the Word here. The parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts 
lest they should believe and be saved. You see, the devil's present every time the word is sown. He's just like the fowls in that parable. He's there to steal the word. I see it all the time when I preach. Larry's doubtless seen it when he's preached, and you see it in meetings. You preach the word, you preach the truth, and people sit and listen. Time after time, they listen to it. And when the invitation is given, they resist it. They refuse to obey. They get out of the building and they walk away from that word that they've heard and what happens? The devil steals that word out of their heart just like the fowls did. Because when we don't act on that word, there's no salvation. And so the devil is in every home study. He's in every assembly. He's anywhere the word's being preached just like these fowls trying to steal it. Because he knows that word is living and it's powerful. And if it's ever taken into this soil, it's going to bring a change. And he doesn't want that. He knows that word is powerful. It's living. Then the Lord goes on. They on the rock, verse 13, are they which when they hear receive the word with joy. These have no root which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. There's some people that hear that word and they receive it immediately. And they, they obey it. And then later you look around in the assembly. They're no longer with us. Because troubles have come along in life. Persecution, afflictions, temptations. And they're just like the seed on the rock. They're not strong enough to endure. And they're taken away. That word, you see, has got to be acted upon and kept because that's the Holy Spirit working through that Word. Then he says in 14, that which fell among thorns are they which when they've heard go forth. They're choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. And you see a lot of Christians this way. There's no, there's no fruit. There's some green leaves. They'll be at the services, but you don't see much fruit in their life at all. Because they've got thorns there and those thorns have grown up in their heart and they've stolen the nutrients that, uh, that that word really needed. Jesus said these thorns are cares, riches, and pleasures of this life. And when you see Christians caught up in cares, riches, and pleasures, they'll be unfruitful. The Spirit can't do anything with them because they don't... They don't uh, Keep this word in their hearts and uh, its purity as they should. But look at 15. That on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. If this is called an honest and a good heart. And having heard the word, it keeps it. And the difference in this one heart right here I've got a lesson that I call sometimes one out of four. One out of four different hearts. There's one out of four that will make it. That's the heart that hears the word and keeps it. You see, this good soil right here went through the, the same thing the others did. The devil tried to steal the word out of this good heart too, but it wouldn't let him have it. It was beset with temptations and afflictions and persecutions, but it was deeply rooted. And so those things didn't kill it out. It was tempted with thorns, with 
cares, riches, and pleasures, but it resisted those things. It is good ground. And it, having heard that word, it kept it and brought forth fruit with patience. And that's how the Spirit operates in our life, that if we will let this word dwell in us richly, in all wisdom, and act upon these words, these words of the Lord, these living words, the Spirit can lead and guide us and produce fruit in our lives, and He will. Now, let me conclude our study with two or three thoughts here because there's some questions that naturally arise. If the Holy Spirit is within every Christian, and He is, if He's not giving us miracle-working power, and He's not, if He's not leading and guiding us apart from the Word, and He's not, What's He doing in us? What is He doing in us? And I'm going to suggest three different things, and there are likely more, but I want to give you three quick things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives and why He's there. Number one, the Holy Spirit is there to seal you and I as belonging to God. I want you to look at Ephesians 1.13. Paul said, In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed. The Bible talks about being sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now when you look up that word sealed, it means to be stamped. And what it means is that because we have the Holy Spirit, that's God's way of saying, this child is legitimate. This is mine. Remember Paul said that if we don't have the Spirit of Christ, we're none of His. In Ephesians 4.30, we're told, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed under the day of redemption. And now the last page, Romans 8, verse 9 to 11. Paul said, but you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body's dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, <clears throat> he also that raised up Christ from the dead shall quicken your mortal bodies by a spirit that dwelleth in you. And so we, we must have the spirit in us then in order to be God's. This, this, this word seal means to stamp as being legitimate. Think of a notary public. Think of a transaction you're making and somebody says this needs a notary. Needs to be stamped with a notary here and so we go see that and they, they stamp this seal and they may sign in that. That gives that document authenticity. It gives it legitimacy. The Holy Spirit in you and I means that we are sealed. We belong to God. That's His way of saying, I'm stamping you as mine. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is in you and I as the earnest of our inheritance. Let's read scripture about that, though we've read some of them. 2 Corinthians 1, 20, 20, or 21, 22. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ, and hath anointed us as God, 
who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. How many of you have bought property before and you put down a down payment? You put down earnest money, didn't you? When we bought this property that we're on here and we're still paying on the acre next to us here, we put down so much money as, as, a, as a pledge. That's what this word earnest. The Spirit is the earnest. It's God's pledge. His earnest that ultimately He will not only redeem our souls, He will redeem our bodies. It's His, it's His down payment on all that He's going to give us. It's His guarantee, the Holy Spirit is that ultimately I will give you everything that I promised to give my children. And he, he makes a pledge. He puts down earnest. And the Bible talks about us having the earnest of the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is deity, and He is, and He's just the down payment on what's waiting for us, think of how great, how greater things are waiting for you and I. Because He's the earnest of it. We read there in 2 Corinthians 5, 5, He that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who hath also given the earnest of the Spirit. Given us the earnest of the Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. So that Holy Spirit given to you and I is God's pledge, His earnest, that ultimately He will give us everything that He's promised. It's His down payment, if you will. Number three, the Holy Spirit is in you and I to make intercession. I better get that spelled right. He makes intercession to God for us. If Romans 8, verse 26, 27. Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because He maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. How many of you have been so burdened before that when you tried to pray, nothing, nothing really would come out? You didn't know what to say. I've, I've stood before families before when I've visited people with tragedies or with needs, and I've actually said this to God in prayers, Lord, I don't know what to ask you. I don't know what to say here today. I don't know what these people need. I don't have the words. You do. You know exactly what they need. Give unto them th those things, Lord, that they may need, that your perfect mind and will knows that they have need of. There are just times, folks, we can't pray. We don't know what to ask. The Holy Spirit knows. And it ought to be a comfort to you and me that when we have our failures like this in prayer that the Spirit knows exactly what to tell God. 
And what he does tell him is according to the perfect will of God. It's not just what's needed, it is the perfect will of God. Because he knows the mind of God, see. He is God. Also we have Jesus, you remember also in Romans 8. The Bible says that he, he is at God's right hand, that he maketh intercession for us. When you and I are praying, understand that the Holy Spirit and Christ are both praying also. We have that kind of help in our prayer life. And so the Spirit is doing that also in us. And there may, there may be several other things. These are three that I want to mention. He's there to seal us as belonging to God. He's the earnest or down payment of our inheritance. He makes intercession for us according to the will of God. And who knows what else. And so... The fact that we are the temple of God, that God dwells in us, that we are a habitation of God through the Spirit, should be a great motivation to us today to be careful about how we live. Because God has taken up residency in us. He's not dwelling in temples made with hands. He dwells in His people's hearts. And He dwells in you if you're His child. Those are some thoughts that I had today on the Holy Spirit. There's so many more things to be said, but I'll leave it with this. I've talked long enough, in fact, too long. Let's have the invitation song. If somebody should need the Lord today, we're certainly not in a hurry. Your needs are important. And if you need to become a Christian, why don't you come today? Make your confession of faith in Jesus and obey your Lord in baptism. If you're here as his child and you need prayer, step forward and come to the front as we rise to sing this song. Would you come? We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.